Saw that coming, didn't you? <clears throat> this morning, uh, we're going to continue our series called Burn, and, and the title of this morning's message is In the Fire with the King. I want to read you a story that is uh, it's very familiar. If you ever were in church as a child, this is one of those stories that is on the carousel that you bring around and around again. And uh, if it's new to you today, I hope it encourages you incredibly so. It's a very long story, so we're going to read the intro. I'm going to let you be seated, and then we'll work through the rest of it. But Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I'm condensing some for time. Verse 4, a herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, that's what a herald sounds like, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, electric guitar, and keyboard, (laughs) and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard... The sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music. People of every nation and language fell down and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All but three. And this Trinity Church is? It's God's word. You may be seated. Uh, Defining moments of faith, those toughest moments of faith, they they tend to come in, in crises. And, and they often come entirely unexpected. Sometimes they come with a little bit of warning, and um, suddenly you're up against it. And what you're facing feels maybe more real than anything that you have believed up to that point. And you're in a position where you end up having to make a choice. Do you bank on something, on God, on someone who you have believed in for some time, who you believe is powerful enough to do anything, who can take care of you in any circumstances, or do you, um, or do you fold? Do you step back in fear? Do you pretend it's not happening? Do you not speak up at all? And so the story goes on, and we'll read through bits of it. Uh, these three men, uh, the nation of Israel was conquered Many people were shipped off to Babylon. They're living in captivity. And so if you've read the book of Daniel before, you know the story of Daniel and his friends not eating, not eating the food, asking for a privilege to stay faithful with the type of food that they were meant to eat. What happened over the course of this book is that, here's the thing, God's people are God's people in any setting. And so what you see is that God's people flourish in a really tough setting, without home field advantage, without support, and these three men had risen to points of prominence and influence in service of the king, but they they would do a lot for the king to honor him, but there are some things that they would not do. And others wanted to take advantage of that moment to remove them from their position. 
So some of the Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king, and they do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then, in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, etc., every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue that I've made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And listen to the question of the king. And who is the God that could rescue you from my power? Who's the God that could rescue you from my power? Now, we're not told in the scriptures exactly what this statue even was. We're not told specifically what it is, just that it was 90 feet high, nine feet wide. It very well could have been a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself uh, on top of a platform. And the reason that it could be that is because he he doesn't say who's going to rescue you from the power of my gods. He says, who's going to rescue from my power? What God could rescue me from this? But whatever the statue was, this was what was happening. And it might have been a reaction by Nebuchadnezzar to even set this thing up. In Daniel chapter 2, he had, he had this horrible dream about a huge statue that was made up of different materials, bronze, clay, iron, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it was a dream of this statue being broken apart. And Daniel interprets it for the king. And he's basically, the point of the dream is this, your kingdom, no kingdom will stand forever. The kingdom of God will stand forever. And if he believed it and was thankful, and he was, but he didn't apparently believe it for long, because this seems to be some sort of power play to kind of unify the kingdom. I'll show you a statue that can't be broken. And so he erects this thing and has everybody come to him. It's a, um, it's a consolidation of authority. Who is the God that will save you from my hand? So let's finish the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, O king. But even if he doesn't, even if he does not rescue us, We want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I wonder if these men had some mamas that helped shape this kind of character. That's tough. And so Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than customary and he commanded some of the best soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, keep on repeating the names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God wants us to remember certain people for certain things. And they threw them, they fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and he said to his advisors, didn't we throw in three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and when the satraps, prefects, governors, and king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their robes were unaffected. There was no smell of fire on them. This is God's word. Yeah. So this story may sound really archaic to some of us. Uh, It's definitely a super religious society versus ours at the moment, which is super secular, but also still, it's still very much a, a mix. But here's what is common in any society ever uh, for overreach of a government to test your loyalty to God. That's happened across societies and across all time. It's not just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that ever had to take an uncomfortable stand. A lot of people in the lineage of faith have done that. And God actually demands that our loyalty to him exceed our loyalty to America, to a political party. Jesus actually said that our loyalty to him must exceed even our our devotion to our father, mother, our family, and our friends. That's the first thing I want to say to you this morning. Number one, loyalty to God comes before self Family, friends, jobs, our nation. What is the problem with just going along to get along here? I mean, literally, probably thousands of people did. Like all of the leaders and officials from this entire empire are required to be present at this moment. Certainly not all of them shared the same gods. And Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to bow and worship to this. And apparently everyone else did. Why not just go along to get along? I mean, who's even going to know? Who's even, they would know. They would know. One of my favorite authors, his name is John Lennox. He wrote a book on the book of Daniel called Against the Flow. And he talks about this setting and he says, you know, we tend to think that these three men didn't suffer at all. He said, I don't believe that. Imagine the suffering they were enduring before the rescue. They did not know what was going to happen. They said, our God can. (laughs) They didn't say he will rescue us. They said he can, but even if he doesn't. And so John Lennox says, imagine the conversations that they're having with their their families as they know this thing is drawing near with their friends. And and they're saying, you know, whenever this moment comes, we're not going to bow. What? We're not doing it. We're not going to bow bro, you have to bow. <laughs> like, we're, all, we're all bowing. Like, pray in your heart. Keep it to yourself. Just survive the moment, dude. Like, we need you in these positions. Your family needs you. You know Nebuchadnezzar. You know what he'll do. You're just, just go through it and go home. Live to worship God another day. We're not going to bow. Can you imagine that? That's That's tense. Jesus 
has not called us to a private set of beliefs. Jesus has called us to live for his kingdom. Whenever Jesus came into the world, he came preaching not just the forgiveness of sins, but the kingdom of God. And not only the kingdom of God that will be here one day to replace all other kingdoms, that will happen. He said, but the kingdom is already becoming. It is already present. It's already and not yet. And he says his people will live for his kingdom. And here's the thing about living for the kingdom of God. When kingdoms clash, being a good person does not guarantee a good outcome. When kingdoms clash, being a good person does not guarantee a good outcome. Now, one of the things that we see in the New Testament and the faith that we're called to live out for Jesus, I mean, we, uh, these guys at this point were not in an established nation of Israel with a uniform religion anymore, and neither are we. God calls us to live faithful lives in the world that we actually live in, in a pluralistic world full of different beliefs, full of lots of disagreements, and God says, be faithful to me in that without power, without home court advantage? Can you be my person now? And he says he wants us to live persuasive lives of, of love. In First Thessalonians chapter four, it, it talks about just some of the, a lot of times as Christians, we think in grand terms of changing the world and that is great. We wanna change the world, but we overlook things like where it says, work quietly with your hands. Work with your hands, live a quiet life. Be a good person. Raise your family. Pray for the king. Paul says elsewhere, I think it's in 2 Timothy, he says, let's offer up prayers. Let's pray for the king. Let's pray for the emperor so that we can live quiet and holy lives. We are meant to be able to live in a tough world and to be God's people in a tough world. And oftentimes that may look like keeping your head down, sharing the love of God where you can. And I applaud you if that's you. And I'm thankful for the years and times where we get to do that. But sometimes that option is pulled away from us. Sometimes it is. So these men had served, they were, one of, they were some of his officials. Like he knew them, they knew him, They had served him well, and that was not helping them at all in this moment because he was asking them to do something that they could only do for God. And so he doesn't doesn't give them an option of civil dissent. He doesn't let them just, you know what, this whole bowing to the statue thing is going to take like 90 seconds, so go get some coffee while this is happening and just we'll we'll be fine. No, he says, are you going to bow? Are you going to bow? Because what God is going to be able to save you from my hand? It's interesting. They had always served the king faithfully. They probably continued to serve the king faithfully after this. Of course they did. But there was something they couldn't, <clears throat> something they couldn't do. We're going to run into those kind of moments in our life. And when we do, and I can't even tell you what those are going to be. You know, some, sometimes you may very well, you'll, you'll be wrestling with something, you'll think you did the right thing, but sometimes you're going to know that to do the right thing or to, is going to be to go against the flow. So there was um, a player in the NHL, his name is Ivan Provorov, and back in, back in January, the NHL had a pride night. And so on that night, uh, his team, the Philadelphia Flyers, were all wearing pride jerseys during warm-ups. Um, 
Ivan is a, he's a devoted Orthodox Christian. And so he said, I can't, I can't do that. They were only wearing the jerseys in warm-ups, and so he just set out the warm-up. It was quiet. He didn't make a thing of it. He just didn't come out for the warm-ups, and then whenever that was over, uh, everybody had their normal game jerseys on, and he played the game. But it was found out that he didn't do what he was expected to do, and oh, the hell that he got. Oh, the criticism that he got. It wasn't enough that he kept it quiet, It wasn't enough that he kept his beliefs to himself. It wasn't enough that he didn't criticize anybody or anything on that night. What was demanded was that he bow. What was demanded was that he wear the jersey. You're going to wear this. And so one of the things the COO of the team said was that, you know, at what point does a decision like this that a player wants to make cross over into basically not showing up for your job? He was saying, maybe we don't need a guy like this around if you're going to make decisions like this and not show up for your job. Of course, to this point, he always just thought he was playing hockey. And it's still what he came to do that night. Just like these guys were serving their position for the king and apparently doing very well, but the king said, you're going to bow. You're going to do this. And so they didn't bow. Ivan didn't bow. And in the right situation or the wrong situation, Will we have the strength, if it's what God is asking of us, not to bow, to be his person? Here's the thing about going through the fire. Number two, fire will expose your faith as devotion or emotion. It will expose your faith as devotion or emotion because you're tested in those moments. Who is gonna rescue you from my hand? I mean, they see the fire, they know what's going on and they got to be absolutely terrified. They got to be terrified. But God had said, you shall have no other gods before me. God had said, don't bow down before any graven image. And what were they being told to do? And so they weren't going to do it. And they said, even if he does not rescue us. Whenever I was in Little League, I had my first ever like moment of testing of my faith. And I was, I was 12 years old and I had recently been saved and I loved the Lord. And I played for the Fort Stockton Warriors, okay? We were the worst baseball team in all the land. We hardly ever won anything. And so this particular night, this particular game, we were getting beaten as we did. And um, I'm sitting in the dugout and, and one of my teammates was kind of mocking me that night. He was like, why don't you pray to your God and see if God will help us win the game? And so I'm like taking a stand. I'm like, okay, I will. So I knelt in the dugout and I prayed to the Lord and I began to like, God, prove yourself. And we came back and won that game. It was amazing. It was amazing. And if I was going only off of that, even if we were only going off of a lot of stories like this in the Old Testament, we would think that every time you make a stand, you end up as the man, the the one, and it comes through. But these guys don't know if that's going to happen. This is why they said, even if he does not rescue us. But here's the thing, number three, one way or another, God will deliver all who trust him. One way or another. With Nebuchadnezzar, he said, look, I see four guys, not one. That's how God delivered them. 
And we always have to remember, I know I repeat this, but I want to keep on doing it because at the end of service today, we'll have prayer partners out here again. And we pray not just for strength to get through things, we pray for God's intervention. We pray for miraculous healing. We pray for restoration of relationships. We do that because we believe God does that. We do that because God does do that. But this is not heaven and we don't always get the outcome that we're praying for. But what we have to remember is that the worst we are in store for is a resurrection. That's the worst case scenario for us, is that we're resurrected to a life that dwarfs any sadness that we have ever had by infinite degrees. I'll read you a few more scriptures. Hebrews chapter 11 is talking about sort of the hall of faith and it's listing all of these incredible things that people experienced. And what more can I say, the writer says, time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and then other people. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, which means release was offered, and they wouldn't accept it. Why wouldn't they accept it? Apparently, it would have been compromise, but they knew that they were in store for a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. In anything that we go through, be encouraged with this. It's not just your faith that is at hand. It is also the reputation of God. And it is his desire to show himself to the world through his faithful people. Through his faithful people. And here's how you can know God will be with you. Jesus went through the fire alone so that we never have to. Key word there is alone. Not that we won't go through the fire. Jesus actually said, everyone will be salted with what? Fire. We're all going to go through some fire. But we never have to go through it alone. Because whenever he was on the cross, he did bear the brunt of the sin of the world. Everything that we have ever done that would keep God at a distance whenever we need him, Jesus took on to himself and was kept at a distance from God so that he could bear the weight of our transgressions, our sin. It is why Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Jesus went through that while he was in his fire so that we could know he would always be with us in in ours. How long will it last and what is the outcome for you? I do not know. But what I do know is that you're not alone in it. What I do know 
is that the very worst that is in store for you is resurrection. Which means, if it's not good yet, then God's not done yet. He's still at work and he is good. Can I pray for you? Invite the band. Lord, we love you. We love you so much. And God, I know on a day like today, talking about something like this, all of us have our things. Lord, I pray for, uh, I pray for everybody carrying a weight. I pray for everybody that feels like they are in a fire. Would you draw near to them today, God? Would you make yourself real to them? Will you reveal the truth that you want to carry them through such things? that you want to comfort them in the midst of it? Lord, would you reveal your power to deliver and to restore and to make us whole? God, I pray you do your work in us. I pray that you draw near to us. And Lord, as we come and as we seek prayer and we're prayed for, would you move on our behalf? We pray that you would answer prayers. 